Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Faith and Family. We're looking at one of the vital sections in John Paul II's The Role of the Christian Family in the Modern World. That's section 25, which talks about fathers. And we're going to do a second broadcast on section 25, because in my book, this is so essential for the welfare of the family. And here is where John Paul II says, where cultural conditions so easily encourage a father to be less concerned with his family, or at any rate, less involved in the work of education. Efforts must be made to restore socially the conviction that the place and task of the father in and for the family is of unique and irreplaceable importance. And then further on in section 25, in revealing and in reliving on earth the very fatherhood of God, a man is called upon to ensure the harmonious united development of all the members of the family. He will perform this task by exercising generous responsibility for the life conceived under the heart of the mother by a strong commitment to education, a task he shares with his wife, and by work. Now, twice in this section, talking about fathers, St. John Paul II has highlighted the need for this restoration for a view of fatherhood that includes the education of children, particularly the religious education of children, and then also the witness of work. And here, at least I think of almost immediately, is St. Joseph. One of the things we don't normally think of with St. Joseph, well, he did the education work that a father, a Jewish father, was expected to do, but he also provided for the family through his work. But a lot of us don't see how sometimes those two things, work and education, can be molded together. Because in a certain sense, St. Joseph's workshop was Jesus's seminary. Let me read to you a couple of verses from John chapter 5. And Jesus is explaining his whole ministry in this way. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever he does that the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him. What is Jesus talking about here? Uh, well, flip it back to the carpenter shop. You have on-the-job training. So on-the-job training, you don't just go and just start your carpentry by chance. No, you see what St. Joseph is doing, and whatever he does, the son does likewise. And then Jesus launches into his public ministry, and what is he doing? He's following the same pattern of work and education that St. Joseph gave him 
in the carpenter shop, and it says the father loves the son. He, he shows him all that he himself is doing, that special work. And then exactly what he saw in the carpenter shop, he takes into his three-year ministry. Uh, I've looked back on my own life, and uh, I was uh, I, I just blessed as a boy. My dad worked a full-time job and also had a, a rather vigorous farm enterprise. And one of the reasons that they was able to keep going is because my brother and I were given enormous responsibility as fairly young boys. And in today's world, a lot of people don't want to give you any kind of responsibility to you're at least 30 years old unless you're in the military or on a farm. And I look back, and even though I will say my seminary education was incredibly valuable, uh, my farm experience was equally valuable because it's one thing to learn certain things out of books, but I know um, launching the Family Life Center with the circumstances I won't bore you with, but it, um, it was challenging. And uh, my dad threw challenges my way. And I <laughs> accomplished them all, but I did learn to accept challenges and try my best to work that way. And so when we talk about education, you know, even trying to incorporate your son or your daughter into your work patterns can be a tremendous way to perform religious education and just see how you react to different situations. A second way that Catholic religious education should take place, and it primarily takes place in the home. That's Catholic truth, okay? In the home, it should take place with Scripture. And so, no, 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 you don't have it. You know, you don't have it right, Steve. Uh, our evangelical friends, they have the Bible and we have the sacraments. No, that is not it. You have a distorted picture of your own faith, if you imagine that. The Catholic faith is word and sacrament. Catholics have both, and a catechism is explicit about that. So, again, this charge of John Paul II is to both mothers and fathers, and it's not to be landed on the soldiers of moms alone. He says that fathers share this responsibility. So, if we're talking about using Scripture for Catholic family religious formation, uh, think of Mary. And this is from Pope Benedict XVI. He says, the Magnificat is entirely woven from the threads of Scripture. Here we see how completely at home Mary is with the Word of God. With ease, she moves in and out of it. She speaks and thinks with the Word of God. The Word of God becomes her Word, and her Word issues from the Word of God. Here we see how her thoughts are attuned to the thoughts of God. And she is completely at home with those Old Testament scriptures. There's one uh, leading Catholic scripture scholar who's a modernist who believes that it's not humanly possible for Mary to compose the Magnificat like on the spot. I mean, the Holy Spirit brings inspiration, but he triggers something that's already in you. And no young Hebrew girl would be able to put something so beautiful together on the spot, even with the 
impulse of the Holy Spirit? Well, yes, she did, because she was completely saturated with those Old Testament scriptures, and it was in her, and it came out. And fooey on you, liberal biblical scholar, <laughs> believes that Mary couldn't have done that. And the same thing was done by St. Joseph. Now, this is, this is a long passage. It's eight verses. You're not supposed to read long passages on the air. So what about that? Because this is the charge to Jewish fathers and to Catholic fathers today. It comes from Psalm 78. And I, I realize today that aware Catholic parents are very concerned that despite they try their best to attend a solid parish, go through religious education, maybe homeschooling, Catholic schools, and everything, they're, they're aware that they have friends with older children who have done this, and their children have just walked away from the faith in large numbers. This isn't a rare experience today. Well, if this passage is followed, the last verse tells us this prevents fallout of children. And this is St. Joseph's spiritual education of Jesus using Scripture. Psalm 78, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark things from of old, things we have heard and known, things that our fathers have told us. You see, the way it should work is that fathers convey this to their sons, their sons are conveyed this in turn in their families, but it may take your parish priest or another dad to help you get started. But nonetheless, we have heard things our fathers have told us. And then he goes, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord. See, this is how a legacy of faith passes down the generations. Uh, we're so thankful today if it lasts for one generation. In other words, your kids don't fall away. No, no, that, that's, that's, if you do that, you may fail. You have to do it God's way, and God's way keeps the generations flowing. And then here comes the commandment. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children. That, that's a purpose clause, for the purpose that the next generation might know them. The children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children. Even your grandchildren who may not be born or great-grandchildren, if you start this in your family, it rolls down. And the way this text reads, if fathers teach their children, then the next generation knows this. And in Hebrew, to know is something very deep. It's not like a fact or a religious factoid. It's just something in your mind that's abstract that you might pick up in a classroom somewhere. But to know it means you absorb it. It becomes a part of you, and as such, you live it. This is how Catholicism is designed to work, and it's not anything strikingly new because God set this up in the Old Testament. And I can guarantee you this is exactly what St. Joseph did with the child Jesus. He was an obedient, righteous man. 
And this is a command. This isn't a wish list. This isn't if you feel like it. This is a command. He appointed a law. And doing this, why? The children will set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. This is how you get faithful kids. And verse 8 of Psalm 78, that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast. They quit, whose spirit was not faithful to God, becoming religious nuns, N-O-N-E-S. How does that happen? When mothers and fathers uh, subcontract the religious education to somebody else, and I'm sorry, but even if you hear the greatest ad in the world for some magic CD or book or whatever, the Holy Scriptures taught by mom and dad, like Mary and Joseph did with the child Jesus, is the way to have it passing on the generations and preventing the fallout. This is marvelous. And you know, you can go to the dollar store and get a Bible for a dollar. Might not be a Catholic translation, but it'll get you started. There's no excuse here. And I can guarantee you that St. Joseph gave a thorough Psalm 78 instruction to Jesus. And my challenge to you is to make spiritual formation in your family just like that practiced in the Holy Family. This is what they did. They knew the Bible inside and out, the Old Testament scriptures. Now, how do you get started in this? Now, a lot of uh, Catholic men's small groups are popping up here and there, and very often they'll have a study. Now, hear me. So often is the study for the men present, and that's the natural inclination, just like you have a women's study. The study is for the women present. I like to turn that around. And I'm not saying you can't do that on occasion, but the primary topics is that that class is not for the dads, or that class is not for the moms. That class is for their kids. And the way their kids are gonna get the faith, are gonna get the scriptures, in a way that really sticks so they don't fall away, they don't become unfaithful, is for mom and dad to do it. For mom and dad to do it, they have to have it. So you have a purpose for a men's Bible study is like, say, I'll tell you a great one to pick is the Gospel of John. Pick the Gospel of John and teach men in a very clear and simple way how to teach the Gospel of John to their kids. Or let's say it's a new year and the readings for that year are, say, in the Gospel of Luke. Well, then have a men's Bible study or a women's Bible study in the Gospel of Luke. You don't have to get it real complicated or real detailed, but so you could be teaching the dads and the moms. So when the children are hearing the scripture, read in, oh, I know that. That's the one that mom was talking about, or that's the one that dad read to us Saturday night before we even went to mass type of thing, or maybe the one that the family reads again after what they heard in mass, but this is what will root it in their hearts. This is so incredibly important, 
And St. John Paul II said, efforts must be made, must, not kinda, sorta, shoulda, must be made to restore this conviction of education by fathers and mothers in the home. And uh, apart from this, you can have the glorious educational building and expensive textbooks and everything else. And that's all good and nice, but it doesn't substitute for mom and dad. And so often it does. Then it says in section 25, and part of the education is by means of the witness that the father gives of an adult Christian life. In other words, this is what it looks like when you grow up. And it introduces children into the living experience of Christ and the church. Uh, there is an ironclad law, okay? Every child comes into this world with programming, with DNA, with a mental outlook, and it's called the power of imitation. And that what children see is what children do. And you can have a, without becoming uh, freaked out about it, but guard, particularly when your children are young, what your children are seeing. And then as Christian parents, you model before them what it means to live as a Christian. And this is the essence of discipleship. And I'm just picking three verses real quick from the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. These are all St. Paul, by the way. He's the guy who turned the pagan Roman Empire into a Christian one, so that's not a bad, bad pattern to follow. He goes, I urge you then, be imitators of me. I mean, there wasn't a big Catholic culture. So what do you do? St. Paul says, just follow my pattern of life. Be imitators of me. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul was imitating Christ, and the new converts were imitating Paul. The same thing works with your children. Remember what I shared with you last episode, that grand statement, that challenge from St. John Paul II to fathers is that they're to reveal and relive on earth the very fatherhood of God, and the children will imitate it. Philippians 3 and verse 17, brethren, join me in imitating me and mark those who so live as you have an example in us. And having a living example is just absolutely precious, okay? I'd like to talk about something as a really way to help people. There's become such a polarization uh, in our culture over homosexuality. And I had, I can remember one of the strongest, heated, angriest emails I ever received was from a father of a homosexual son who somehow heard heard me interview Dr. Nicolosi, who works with homosexual young people. Man, he went to task on me, and I was ready to fire back. Because, you know, when you get all that anger coming your way, it's pretty easy to come back at you. And, you know, if you're in that situation, I really encourage you to kind of cool down before you respond. And I tried to respond and just say, look, I'm simply trying to help young men like your son. 
And I'm not trying to force anything on anybody, but if he wants a change in life, I'm trying to show people and parents as well as the young people that there's a path to be taken. And I said, Dr. Nicolosi has done this. He doesn't force anybody. And here's the book that he wrote. And I said, I would like to send you a free copy. I'll pay for it. And I like to send you so you can see what I'm talking about. And he calmed down and actually thanked me for the book. But here's what Dr. Nicolosi said. And he has now passed away, but I had the privilege, I believe, of being the first Catholic media person to interview him. And I was able to do it not only uh, over the telephone and a radio studio, but I was able to actually go to his office with EWTN filming crew and get him on television. But here's what he said, quote, I have never met a single homosexual man who said he had a close, loving, and respectful relationship with his father. I have never known a single case of a homosexual man who was not wounded in his relationships within the male world. Now, it's very interesting to me that Dr. Nicolosi has passed away, actually, in my book, prematurely via a heart attack, I believe it was. But his son has actually taken up his banner, uh, slightly modified and developed Dr. Nicolosi's treatments. And you can read about it at josephnicolosi.com. And Dr. Nicolosi's book, of course, has been banned from Amazon, but you can get it at josephnicolosi.com, A Parent's Guide to Preventing Homosexuality. And by the way, I predicted probably two or three years before Amazon banned it that you weren't going to be able to buy this book through Amazon and commercial things. But here's what Dr. Nicolosi Jr., his son, has come up with. They find that the lack of fatherhood involvement and love causes trauma or the lack of a boy being able to kind of get in with the other boys and such uh, in school and sports and whatnot, and that causes trauma. So if a young man who has unwanted homosexual attractions, and again, this isn't arm twisting, putting somebody in handcuffs and you know, forcing somebody to do something they don't want to do. They want to get rid of the homosexuality. And yet so many treatments focus on getting rid of the homosexuality. Instead, Dr. Nicolosi's son, again, I think his name is Joseph Nicolosi, he has found that you treat the trauma of a lack of fatherhood, a lack of male involvement in, in that young man's life, and without any uh, psychotherapy for the homosexuality, the attractions decrease and the ability to have heterosexual attachments increase by themselves if you treat the trauma. And the interesting thing is there's now a landmark study showing that this trauma treatment significantly alters unwanted sexual attractions. And it's an official journal for psychologists and sociologists. And Dr. Nicolosi, if you go to Nicolosi, josephnicolosi.com, you can even get that study. I'd like to close with this, this fatherhood section, and mention what John Paul II said in the closing pages of his book, 
Crossing the Threshold of Hope. He wrote it right before the year 2000. And it kind of explains, not kind of, it does explain why fatherhood can so often seem difficult in today's world. He starts with saying the father-son paradigm is ageless. It's older than history, and he traces it back to the Trinity, the relationship between the father and the son. And it says this mystery, the Trinitarian mystery, shines forth illuminating everything in human history. And then he goes, notwithstanding, we know from Revelation, from the Bible, in human history, the rays of fatherhood meet a first resistance in the obscure but real fact of original sin. This is truly the key for interpreting reality. Now, my mind's smaller than John Paul II's, but he's saying this is something really significant here. This isn't just like a little dad's tip or something like that, but the entire universe, God has revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then you have the, the idea of a resistance in original sin to the fatherhood of God. And this is the key to interpreting the reality of world history. He says, original sin is not only the violation of a positive command of God, but also and above all, a violation of the will of God as expressed in that command. Original sin attempts to abolish fatherhood. Wow. Do you get that? So there's a really a war going on because the reverberations of original sin are still with us. This is the key for interpreting reality, not just reality of the family, but our culture, our nation, the whole works. It starts in the family because the future of the world and of the church pass through the family. And the father, why? Because he's to reveal and relive the goodness, the mercy, and the greatness of God in the family. And yet original sin tries to abolish that. And it's very interesting when John the Baptist shows up in Luke chapter 1, the prophecy of Malachi applying to John the Baptist says he will go before the Messiah in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the people prepared to meet the Lord. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 372 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.